our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, my dog peeps. I hope you're doing well. Sincerely, I mean that. If you're not having a good day, I hope this podcast helps you through that day, turns that frown upside down. I want to thank every single one of you for listening to this podcast, however you're listening to this, in the car, in the AirPods, on speaker, doing the dishes, cleaning up, whatever y'all doing. I appreciate you so much. I think we're creating something special. Um, I can feel it deep down in my bones that uh, what we're doing on all these platforms and the community that we're building and the dogs and the people we're helping is special and it is making a difference and it's, and it's all because of you guys helping out spread the word so I just want to say thank you guys so much for supporting me listening watching commenting liking entering to win all this stuff I appreciate it this is this is something special I want to quickly thank my friends over at dog Chiff for sponsoring the no bad dogs podcast as you guys know When we're talking about reliability, recall, getting your dog's attention from a distance, using vibrating functions, low-level stimulation, just to let the dog know you're there for responsibility purposes. And it's some of the things that we talk about in this session about how important recall is and getting your dog back to you and all the different ways you can do it. But if you guys are interested in getting a remote collar for your dog, my friends over at Dogtra has given you guys a discount code. It's NBD10, stands for No Bad Dog 10, at checkout. If you guys... If you guys purchase $200 or more, you can receive 10% off your entire order at dogtra.com, which is fantastic. It's amazing. It's awesome. Thank you, Dogtra, for allowing uh, you guys. This is I do this for you guys, so here you guys go. Here's some perks. If you guys are thinking about getting a remote collar to do some off-leash training or if you just want to break some bad habits with a little bit of punishment with the vibrating setting, counter surfing, whatever it is, you guys can do that now at dogtra.com and receive 10% off using the discount code NBD10. Thank you, Dogtra. All right, guys, and I'm excited to present this podcast to you. It's with Kirsten McMillan. For those of you who don't know, Kirsten is a one of my favorite follows on IG. If you guys haven't yet, the description has her Instagram handle. It's hilarious. It's fun. It's a breath of fresh air. She's, she's just funny. Uh, I really, really enjoy following her, and, and like I said, we, we got together and got on the podcast, and she's she's got a lot of really cool insight in a world that I've never seen. I've never been involved in, um, and that's what we try to do in the podcast, guys, is try to expand our knowledge in the dog world, and Kirsten has over 25 years of experience working with animals of all the sorts, big cats, lions, tigers, bears, etc., and right now, she is a professional studio animal trainer for movie sets, TV commercials, photos photo shoots, magazine covers, you name it. She works with some of the biggest stars in the world and she's behind the scenes and she does dog training. Just, it was an absolutely awesome conversation and I hope to have her on again because an hour just was not enough with her. 
It was a pleasure, Kirsten. Thank you for jumping on. I hope you guys enjoy this. If you guys haven't yet, do not forget to review this podcast in the podcasting platform that you're listening to this on. I would appreciate it very much. And let's dive in. I guess we'll just roll with, just start off with who you are and, and what you do, where you're from, um, and kind of just give us a background on on what's going on in your life and where you're at and all that fun stuff. Yeah, so um, I'm Kirsten McMillan, and I'm a studio animal trainer here in Los Angeles, California. And um, for those of you guys that don't know what exactly that means, it means I train animals for movies, commercial TV um print all kinds of stuff like that basically the entertainment industry and um and then privately uh separately i train dogs on the side um for private individuals and in la of course private individuals ends up including like a large celebrity clientele because just geography right like at a certain point in la if you're good at what you do yeah you're going to end up in a certain circle yeah, for sure. And I see, I see, like, like I said, I really love like your fun, like your approach with how you, I think your, your handle on Instagram is adventures, adventure, adventures, dog training too, which is like describes exactly what I see too, is you guys just go out there off leash, have such a good time and you make it look so easy. And it's just so cool to see somebody do that. Um, it's just refreshing, I guess, for me, cause I'm so like, I'm so used to teaching people how to, to do dog training and whatever. And it's just so cool to see you just to watch you do it. Um, it's, it's more, it's a lot of like really entertaining, beautiful stuff. And I really like it. So yeah, yeah. It's super cool. you like, like I said, like one of my favorite follows for sure. That's why I wanted to have you on. Um, yeah, well, that's when I picked the handle, right? It was, um, it was cause I, I didn't, I wanted it to be not just about, specifically like you know this is an instructive uh, handle this is an instructive account so i picked right. adventures in dog training because to me there's a lot of adventures in dog training yes. it's just this is this wild and crazy ride that you end up on and um when i train like you're seeing from the photos i do i take them out everywhere with me because uh being a movie animal trainer you are gonna on, on game day like on our shoot day you literally have no idea what you're showing up to on set. And you could have anywhere from 20 to 300 people watching you mm. do your thing in your moment wow. with your animal and all kinds of stuff. Don't you? So it's a high pressure career. So because of that, I definitely work with the animals in uh, real life environments, real life settings where there's a ton of distractions and curveballs. Um, and you know, with that, um, I love photographing it uh, because I find them completely ridiculous in the, in the yeah. best way possible. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and that comes, that's perfect. It's literally perfect, like everything you just said, because that's what it is. It's like when, when I watch you post these funny things, it's just so cool. It's just so refreshing is what it is. It's like, it's like a, it's, it's like what social media I think is supposed to be is like escapism <laughs> for other people where you're not, you know, it gets old, like, you know, just watching people like boost their stuff. And I, I'm guilty of it too, just cause it's, you know, it's my career and whatever. And it's just so cool to like, have you just have fun with it. It's, it's really cool. And when, and, oh, well, and it's, it's the only thing I'm very, it's the only thing I'm good at is, is having fun with like what I do and laughing at myself because it's just otherwise <laughs> I'm not good at the, I'm not good at the other approaches. I'm just not. No, it, <laughs> it works perfect. It really comes through and it's, it's really enjoyable. And it's like I said, it's it's refreshing. You don't see it. You don't see. I don't see it a lot anyway. Especially in the dog industry, it's very like, 
you know, it's a little bit more binary, but I love how you're, it's just funny. Like even the stories that you were posting earlier today of like the dog slobbering all over, <laughs> it's like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's so funny. Like that stuff just cracks me up like so much. Do you even have a dog if there's not slobber exactly. in your car? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and yeah, and that's, that's what it's about. And it's really cool. So I want to go back to what you said about the animal training thing. Cause like I said, I really don't know anybody that, that does that in the dog world. And, um, that's really fascinating. And it, it is, like you said, like it's probably high stress because, um, when you show up to a set to do a certain scene, are these dogs that you're working with, are they, cause I, I noticed that you work with a lot of different dogs. Like they're not usually consistent, um, from the ones yeah. that you've posted. So I was curious when you're doing this animal stuff, is it, are there dog? Are they your dogs that you've trained before, or are they just like here's a trained dog, Kirsten? Like, good luck. Oh, okay. So you're asking if whenever I go on set with a dog, is this is a dog that is previously trained, or is it a dog that I have trained? Yeah. With? What's your relationship yeah. with these dogs when you show sure. up? Every dog that I bring on set, I have trained, and I usually know them from a very young age, and I have worked with them their whole lives, and I'm prepared for that moment. Um, I probably work with about sixty different dogs. Um, and so it's hard, obviously, to, um, I trained at least 3000 dogs. I did the math about uh, a year ago and, um, that's in my career. Now, keeping in mind after 23 years, we've got a lot of those dogs that have crossed the rainbow bridge at this point. Right. Sure. But as far as like it currently, I probably work with about 60 dogs, um, in a, in a regular rotation and I don't post as much as other people. Like you're very, very good at social media. Like it's impressive. And I could learn a lot from you. Thank you so much. Um, in that way. Yeah, it's awesome. And it's interesting and fun to watch and punchy. And the photos are gorgeous. And, you know, there's always a good, a good takeaway from it. Um, and I am not quite as good as you. That, that at all. But uh, these guys. So a lot of times if you don't see them on there, it's just because I'm not the best poster. Um, <laughs> poster. Uh, with respect. Yeah, I'm not the best poster on social media. But, um, no, these are dogs that I have trained and that I work with, um, and I work with other trainers on set. Um, so maybe if it's not my main dog, it's their main dog. Sometimes if it's like a two trainer job, it's either my main dog or their main dog that like, that we are the head trainer of one of the two of us will be the head trainer. Um, and regardless pre job, we're always, uh, working with our animals, prepping them for the job, getting them, uh, sharp and ready, um, so that on the day. Uh, we are not the thing holding production up that mm -hmm. we can deliver. And, and that's, uh, does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. No, that's fascinating right, cool. to me. No, totally, totally. That's really, really fascinating to me because I've always wondered, you know, like when you watch little commercials and I've seen like some behind the scenes of some bigger production stuff and you're like, you know, they shoot this and it takes six months for them to produce this 30 second thing and whatever. Oh my gosh, totally. Yeah. yeah. So I've always wondered like how that works. So when you show up, it's like, so basically you're, you're contracted. I'm sure you have like a contract with companies and they say, Hey, we need this cute puppy. And you're like, okay, let me flip through my, it's like Pokemon kind of, you're like, let me flip through my catalog to see what I have. Is that kind of how it works? I'll break it down for you. So uh, production, uh, I'll just give you an example of um, like just what I've got going last this week and next week, right? So production yeah. calls me and says, um, we uh, want a scruffy uh, looking terrier type dog um, that has like a mad scientist style hair do. <laughs> cool. And um, it has to be able to work with talent. Uh, 
it's a still shoot and um here's what talent is going to be doing with the dog right and it gives me a breakdown a description if it's a still shoot you know mm-hmm. and um so then i go okay great and i'm like what size range do you want and sometimes they say any size is okay other most times so they have a specific size in mind so then i'll send them photos of all the dogs with that fit that bill right mm-hmm that are in that like that look like scruffy terrier mixes that have that mod scientist hair that are great with talent um and that um are medium size let's say you know mm-hmm. um or for example other times like this show i'm working on next week for i think it's cbs they were very specific they wanted certain breeds you know what i mean mm-hmm. airedales bedlingtons pomeranians havanesas like we want those are the options and they wanted full coats on all of them and fo- you know what I mean? And photos. Mm-hmm. So then it's like, okay, here's my, here are the choices of dogs in those breeds. Or if I don't have those breeds, I'm like, I don't have those breeds. You know what I mean? Like I can, you, they, I can find them for you, you yeah. know, because nobody has a working Bedlington Terrier. And because right. that dog, you might get a call for a Bedlington Terrier once every three years. So therefore, what would be the point? <laughs> Unless yeah. you just love, love the breed. If you love the breed, then that's the best point of all. But, you know, as far as a movie animal trainer, most of the dogs, uh, I'd say about 90% of working dogs that you've seen in all the commercials you've seen, all the TV shows that you've seen, all the movies that you've seen, all the still shoots and printouts that you've seen, 90% of those dogs are rescued from high kill shelters. That's where we pull our treasure from. Wow. So it's what the, the general public's trash is my treasure. And so um, all of my dogs have been uh, from high kill shelters except for one and that one was a gift to me from a breeder and that was like really really cool um and that's uh and, and so that's where we get our dogs and um so you don't find a lot of bedlington terriers in the shelters you know yeah. what I mean? because it's a lot of popular but but what do you find a lot of in the shelters right so let's go through it huskies shepherds chihuahuas pitbulls right yeah <laughs> that's where yeah. you find a lot of and then labs of course and retrievers sometimes depending on where you are in the country Scruffy little terriers, terrier mixes, Jack Russells, border collies, yeah. you know, things like that, right? And so the odd Aussie with an aggression issue, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. So um, that's how it works. So we submit them uh, the options, they pick the dog, and then uh, let's say it's a commercial or a movie. For commercials, we almost always have storyboards, um, and we know what's going to ha- be happening in a scene, so we train to the storyboards. Um, and then for movies, there's a script and we ask for the breakdown of our scenes. It's called your, you know, your sides, you want your sides. And so then we, um, have an idea of what's going on in those scenes and we prep for that. Obviously we have a ton of questions based on that. We bounce them back to production. They give us our answers and then we show up on the day and that's when all it's all going down and you better be ready. Mm, Yeah. That (laughs) is. Excuses do not make the cut. Yeah. That is really, really cool. That's cool, and I had no idea you pulled them from shelters. I think that that's a really cool concept, and I, I love that. That's really cool. We don't pull them from shelters for a specific job. We actually go in and go, oh, my gosh, look at this beautiful dog in the shelter, right. and we pull them, and we rescue them, and we train them up over the years and look after them. And then because they are now a set-ready movie dog, we submit them for jobs, just in case that yeah. didn't come through clearly. You know what I mean? We don't go to the shelter, right. pick out a dog, and train it for a job. Like right, 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 right. So, yeah. Okay, so cool. where do where do the dogs live? I'm assuming you don't have all of those dogs. So that's changed. Yeah, that's changed over the years. It used to be years ago, right? So 20 years ago, um, it was all of the dogs lived at studio animal ranches, right? 
Mm. And then in the last 10 to 12 years, I would say that has changed. And now each trainer might have five or six dogs living with them in their house. Right. And so those, those five or six dogs are one of the dogs that you're like the head trainer of. Right. And so, so that's, and so everybody lives now in a house setting. Um, and sometimes you you can have more than five or six, but I would say on the average, you're looking at like five or six dogs, um, in the house, uh, with you that are, that are your working dogs. That's fascinating. So the Mm -hmm. dogs that you like pull, you'll just find homes for and just kind of keep them on your, on your roster, if you will type thing. So they, so when you, when you're a movie animal trainer and like you're working for your, your a company, right? Like usually that dog technically it belongs to the company and every company has its own trainers. And so, ah. um, yeah, so that's usually how it's done. Right. And so that, does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Can you, cool. yeah, I'm just, I'm just so fascinated by all this and, uh, sure. it's just really, really cool. So you, so like if, if you said, Hey, like in your local shelter, you got like a purebred whatever. And you're like, that would be perfect for most shoots or whatever so then yes. you, you would you would so how would how would that work from there would you contact the the product like how, how would that work from that exact moment you're like so okay I have my own, no no so then I have my own uh company my own studio animal company and mm. so I get calls from production about that right and so then got some it. I've got dogs that live with me dogs that live with my trainers and then um but then other companies sometimes I'll see a dog and like I am like full so to speak and I'll be like, this is such a great dog. And so I'll shoot pictures and I'll send it off to my other animal training friends that are uh, in my business too. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I don't know if you guys are looking for this, a good looking mutt like this, but yeah. this is a gorgeous dog and he's incredible. And so, um, you know, it's like, you feel like you find gold sometimes. Yeah. It's just so beautiful no, and amazing. I think that that is like, I don't know, that that to me is it's its own reality show to like have that cycling like (laughs) saving and like that is really really cool i love that i didn't know see that's that's why i wanted to have you on and talk to you because i didn't i don't like i'm usually in like the other side of the working dogs maybe more like police or or like you know whatever that type of stuff but like this type of working dog is is entirely different it's very 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 fascinating to me i absolutely love that that's cool and that's the cool thing about this industry is people don't realize that like there's actually various sects of the animal training and husbandry world. You know what I mean? So for sure. Yeah. It's like, I mean, I know somebody that, um, you know, she has a greyhound rescue. Right. And then they donate blood because apparently like a a greyhound is like having, is like when a human being has type O negative blood, like your blood type, right? Like O negative is the universal blood donor. You can give to anybody. Well, that's like a greyhound for other dogs. So greyhounds, they can be blood donors. So she rescues these greyhounds and they have this awesome program. And, you know, that's, so that's what she does. And then of course there's straight up animal rescues. So they just, you know, they rescue and they rehabilitate and then they adopt out. And then there's people that train dogs to uh, literally detect cancer by their nose. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And then there's like in your sex, like people that are training police dogs and working dogs and competition dogs for the um, CDX obedience, French ring sports, Schutz and I mean, so many cool things. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, there's the show dog world, which we're all fascinated by yeah. in a very strange and frightening way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They all ca- on and on. Yeah. They all kind of commingle. And that's why that's why I created this podcast, honestly, is to just hop on these phone calls with people who are in like it's fun to talk to people 
you know, my audience is from all over. I mean, people who listen to this are from all over the world, Australia, Japan, Canada, UK, Ireland, all that stuff. Yeah. So it's really, really cool. Um, but I think, you know, for me, it's really about, it's, it's, you know, my audience and my show, if you will, um, is really about, well, there's two things. It's called the no bad dogs podcast because that's kind of like my thing I've been pushing. Um, I just kind of said it one day and, uh, and just, you know, just as you know, like the, the dogs are usually not the problem. It's normally people. And to hear the story of you going in and, and helping dogs that were left at shelters and then putting them into movie sets and stuff like that. That's cool. Yeah. And it's like, um, you know, that's one of the frustrating things is that good hearted and, and, uh, well-intentioned people, um, will come after studio animal trainers because they think that it's exploitative, you know, to train, Mm. uh, to have animals working in film, but we're pulling dogs from kill shelters. So we're cleaning up messes that other people have made. Studio animal trainers never dump dogs at shelters ever. It's the regular citizens that do. And so it's like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dogs we rescue. And it's just, you know, one of those things where um, that's why it can be a little frustrating, you know, and we also, Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, so it's that. No, yeah, yeah. One of those, it's just one of those realities that kind of exist online. Because a lot of people like you, like you don't realize, right? Like, oh, you guys rescue from kill shelters? Hell yeah, we do. That's like our main. Yeah, I I had no idea. Like zero idea. Yeah. That's so cool. Well, what makes a terrible pet makes a brilliant movie dog. Those dogs that are so hyper that you need to take them on a seven mile hike just to take yeah. the edge off of them. And then after a nap, they're ready for round two. Those dogs that when you leave them are barking up a storm, redecorating your house because of their <laughs> separation anxiety. Those dogs that are knocking your kids over, jumping on your counters, barking everywhere, destroying your house. Like that is a great movie dog, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like right now I'm, you probably can't hear it, but my neighbors have a Samoyed and that dog literally just sits in his in his fenced in yard all day and barks at dogs that walk by. Oh, poor and thing. Exactly. Yeah. They have no yeah, I mean. But yeah, so that no, that's that's really interesting. So so okay. So I I feel like I I don't wanna I don't wanna bore you too much with all that, but that is that is super, super fascinating to me. I'm really glad that um that I asked you those questions because I had no idea that you guys yeah, did that. My pleasure. Yeah, that's super cool. So whereabouts so you're in L and especially in LA, right? There's yeah. a lot of dogs that are in shelters and in everywhere, but specifically in LA it's like really bad, right? Oh my gosh. It's so bad here. It's worse than it's ever been here, actually. Mm. Which sucks because we have more information. So in theory, yeah, that shouldn't be the reality, right? But yeah, it's worse than it's ever been here. Um, I'm sorry to say. What do you think the What do you think it is like? And I know that this is isn't just LA, but like, yeah. what do you think it is about? Like, what do you think's happening? Do you think? I'd like to get your perspective on this, and sure. I I always like to ask this question. What do you think about like dogs that are ending up in shelters? What do you think uh-huh. like the main reason? Do you think people are just ignorant to what an animal or what a dog is and you feel like they're like okay I don't have time for this anymore or do you feel like it's what do you what's your perspective on that what's your kick on that sure you know I mean as far as the dumping it is concerned um sorry are you asking like 
Were you asking me that question? I'm sorry. No, yeah, and it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, it's totally cool. It's it's more just a conversation piece of what do you think, like, you know, you don't have to answer it, like, very specifically. It's more about what do you think about why why do you think people are dumping dogs off at shelters? I mean, what are you seeing? What's on your end that you're, like, you're seeing a lot of? Okay, so I would say that um, it, it starts in, in the family environment. Um, I think that there's a lot of uneducated families um, that, it, and I think social media has in many ways been a negative contributor to this, and I'll explain exactly what I mean by that. Mm-hmm. So the, the, um, the optic revolution that has happened in the last, let's say, six years, like dramatically in the last six years, it, it started before that, but like, the last six years, optics have never been more important. And so you have um, all these people on social media that are taking pictures of them, selfies with dolphins, selfies with goats, their cute puppy photos, um, you know, Manny the Frenchie, all these different dogs, right, that are on Instagram and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so the thing is, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with, like, having your dog on Instagram. Nothing at all. Unfortunately, though, um, it doesn't capture the breadth of animal ownership, like pet ownership, pet companionship, being the guardian for that animal, right? Um, yeah. The expense involved. And so people sign up for the cute French bulldog because of the optics. Let's use the French bulldog as an example in this particular way, because that breed has suffered so much in the last, um, in the last six to eight years, extremely, uh, like a lot to an extreme in the last six to eight years because of the popularity of them and the popularity of them has been exemplified because of social media. That's specifically why. And then nobody shares on social media except for the rescues, right? That are cleaning up messes like, like student animal trainers, right? They're not sharing about the health issues that they have, the expense. Here's the vet bill. Here's a photo of the vet bill. Here's me waiting in line at the vet. Here's my untrained dog lunging and snapping at dogs at the vet. Here's a hike that my dog can't go on because he'll die. But I took a cool picture of him right. um, at the Mountain Vista. So it looks like I hiked my dog. And actually, no. I've never seen one French Bulldog breeder. And there's so many online. There's so many Bulldog breeders online, whether it's a British Bulldog or French Bulldog or now the Pocket Pitbull, right, that have these um, handles with over 100,000 followers, some even more than that, right? Yeah. I have never seen one of them commit um, a story or a post to brachiocephalic ownership. What does that mean? Yeah. And how dangerous yeah, and how dangerous it could be to have them in certain environments and climates. A hundred percent. Why yeah. aren't they going over the do's and don'ts of that? You're going to have the nerve to charge five to $10,000 a dog, right? And you can't even commit that. So the thing is, instead you feel like you're adopting a cartoon, a Muppet, a toy, something really cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. And no information about the chronic skin conditions that they can have and the thousands of dollars that you're going to spend at the vet and uh, the suffering um, they might go through. Um, the the trial and error of the diets, of the single source proteins, trying to find the things. So I think that that's, I think it's um, more people got dogs and they didn't want a dog. They wanted a puppy uh-huh. and they wanted a character. And the puppies only live for eight months because after eight months, it's a dog. It's no longer a puppy. And then it's boring at that point. The novelty is worn off. And so you're seeing a lot of animals get dumped or they say they see the animals, uh, the wolves on Game of Thrones and they're getting huskies, which how does that even make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I had a I had a client, uh, actually, the governor, Como, he uh, he got 
the uh um geez he got one of those dogs that the breeder bred for like the cgi formats for those dogs um mm-hmm. and yeah it's uh it's an interesting he, yeah yeah it's weird and he probably will keep his dog you know what i mean because he's yeah because he can just public pressure alone <laughs> yeah well and just like you know there's people that are you know they're all around that can take care of them and stuff but yeah yeah, yeah and it, and whenever we go into that so like these huskies nobody goes into husky, the amount of fur how much and that sounds like oh it's just a lot of fur when you're living with that it's actually a lot it's actually a whole different thing you know what i mean or the high energy that they have and what that requires energy management being so key for like the first three to six years of their life depending on your dog um how huskies are known cat killers and how important it is to socialize them with little critters as they're coming up, you know, and, and so that yeah. doesn't get talked about. So Husky acts, acts like a Husky one day and they dump it on. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think, I think that that's a, that's a good point. And I think a lot of it comes down to, um, I think it all, a lot of it comes down to breed specific stuff. I've been finding, you know, you know, the, the picture I sent you the other day too, like, of like, Hey, this dog needs a home. And like, I think people just don't realize, I think breed has a lot to do with it as well. Um, oh, yeah. you know, like people are getting, people are getting dogs. I guess basically what you're saying, and, and I agree is like off at aesthetics, like they just want a dog to post a pretty picture, which is not the reason why you should get a dog. I mean, um, but I think that that has a lot to do with it is people don't realize the breed actually matters. Like mm-hmm. it's like getting a car. Like if you get like a Lamborghini, you're getting a Lamborghini. Like you got to know mm-hmm. what you're doing with that. You, can, you know, if you're at 16, totally. you know, and you go out and buy that, it's not a good fit. And Absolutely. I, I think a lot yeah. of people, that's what I've been seeing anyway. It's just a lot of people as far as shelters go. And that makes sense of why you're seeing a lot of purebred dogs into shelters is because they're getting dogs that they can't handle. You know, the Border Collies, the the cattle dogs. and. Mm-hmm. Connie Corsos, they're filling the shelters in LA with, with Connie's, which is yeah. so sad. And the Dogos are going to come next. Now, if we get into the Connie's and the Dogos, the reason why those guys are getting dumped why is, is that they're being, they're be, way more being bred. Why are they being gonna... bred? Because, yeah. well, people that have, uh, that do bite work training, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I'm, I get so grossed out because they're like, bite work is a respectable field. And if you go back to the origins of it, I mean, it's a very well organized, um, specific kind of training yeah. and i see a lot of people flossing now and they talk about their dogs it's a monster it's a monster it's yeah. a monster and you can tell they've never apprenticed themselves to anyone which means they've never apprenticed themselves to the work so there's a lot of ego involved in the training oh yeah and they're taking a lot of pictures of certain kinds of dogs and these dogs are often you know your mastiffs your uh, dogos and your pities um and and of course the poor malinois, malinois i mean that's a whole yeah. other thing yeah and um, so then people that just follow them, they want to get one. Yeah. And they get one. And yeah. like you said, it's like they don't know how to drive that car, though. Yeah. And where, where do you think? Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. Totally. I'm with you. I was just I was just talking. You know, I had a consult. I do like a lot of online consulting, especially now with the coronavirus. People are like I think I, uh, people are just home stuck with their dogs. But um, yeah, no, totally. And I think, you know, I, I was talking to this one um, individual and she got a she got a duchy and she was talking about, you know, she's doing some PSA training, which is like a division of just bite sports it just it's basically shuts in without without the tracking essentially it's a little bit more involved with like realistic protective work like carjackings and stuff like that 
whatever. It's fun if you like working with your dog. But sure. the problem is, is people, people get dogs and then they get into like PSA or any type of ring sport for that matter. And you start building these drives and dogs and you start, you start compounding like prey drives and really just like unleash the beast. And then they go home and I'm like, okay, now you're not at club and your dog is terrorizing your cat and your shoes and your socks and won't let go because you didn't teach him, you know, whatever. So yeah. And then, you know, basically we came into terms, me and her were talking and I, I definitely didn't talk her out of the idea of that being cool, but I just was, I, I was explaining to her, I'm like, you know, it is cool to like, you know, same thing with border collies and, and, any of these dogs that like agility or barn hunts or whatever they're good at, you know, naturally herding, whatever. Some of these dogs Mm -hmm. are also inclined, uh, primarily to, to also do these types of things like bite work and prey drive and just having fun with it. Um, but I, you know, I was saying like, don't, don't do it for the wrong reasons. Like don't do it to have, don't do it to have to like, say you have a badass dog because that's the wrong reasons to, to be doing this type of stuff. Because at home, you're not going to be able to control that because you're a OR nurse and, or an ER nurse or yeah. whatever. And I was like, you know, and she's like, you know what? You're right. And I was like, yeah, I'm like, you don't, I'm like, just because you have, and I think that that's something too, that you touch base on, especially with the Mallies is, it's like, just because you have that dog doesn't mean you have to push him into like that type of work. They, they'd be fine just doing agility or just playing chuck it or something, sure. you know? Well, you know, and the thing about that is, um, is that what, uh, so the problem, okay. So yeah, I feel like when it comes down to the bite work conversation, there's a lot to say because building drive is actually really easy. It's really easy to build drive. You know why? Because it's what the dog is is bred to do. Right. And so you're just, uh, ramping it up though. When you're working your dog on sheer drive like this, when I see these dogs like climbing trees and so forth, they can turn it on, (laughs) but they don't know how to turn it off. Right. Right. So it's really easy to upshift. Mm-hmm. It's very elegant training. Like it's, it's a whole different thing when you know how to downshift your dog or you can yeah. read that. But, and this is what's not being discussed. And if you choose to go into that field and you have the nerve to say, I, I can teach you to do this. I'm an expert on this. I'm an authority on this. Watch me. Look at my page. Look at my post. Yeah. Then you also have the responsibility to have that conversation, but that conversation is not being had. And it's because it's like an egoic level of training and who pay, who pays the price when we train from our ego, right? It's never us. We never pay the price. Literally. We don't, um, the animal does hundred percent, hundred percent. Every and, single time yeah, they're going to get euthanized. They're going to get confiscated. They're going to get put in, um, quarantine in a shelter. Um, all of it. They're going to bite somebody. They're going to yeah. like, you know, more importantly, and I, and I think that that's big. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I'm guilty of that too. Just like, I remember this one time I was, I was with my duchy and I never was putting her into any type of like real protection work or anything. I was just, she just really likes her lines are like KMPV, like, like Dutch lines that really just like the stuff, you know, prey drive stuff, fun stuff. And, um, yeah, I remember one time I was like trying to do this was, I don't know, five or six years ago, maybe. And no, actually it was, it was four and a half years ago. Anyway, she was a puppy and, uh, I was trying to do this, this, like, I was trying to like have, I thought it was cool to like have her bite a sleeve in a car. And I just, you know, I'm guilty of it too. I'm like, sure. you know, but then yeah, you realize as you grow. And I think that that's part of working with animals is, you know, we're learning from your mistakes. Nobody gets in the industry and's like, you know, you have to trial and error. I mean, that's, that's what it's about is kind of getting better yeah. off your mistakes. And, but yeah, I agree a hundred percent and it's, it is tough. It's a, it's a tough thing. And I agree with the, with the whole social media thing. 
as far and well, that's, that's a, go ahead sorry mm-hmm. oh no i was just saying what you're about you know when you were talking about your duchy and, and making the mistakes and stuff some of that is a product of youth mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know when you're really young and you anytime anytime i effed up with an animal it's because i was showing off and all the times i was showing off it was when i was really young you know what i mean and yep. i was like i just sort of hit a point where i was like God just doesn't want me to be that cool. (laughs) Yeah. I got to stop trying to be so cool. (laughs) Yep. No, a hundred percent. That's a great point. And I think one, one thing I learned big time with that when I was younger, um, was yeah, no, you're right. You're exactly right. And, and animals don't care about who you are, what you do, whatever. And I think that that's a really ground, that's what really has grounded me in life. Um, was I, I, I worked with, I worked at a wolf sanctuary in Colorado for like four or five summers. I would go out there and do like some educational, um, canine stuff. And, um, it was just so grounding to be around canines that you can't control and they don't, Uh they don't care about anything. They're just very primal and like, it's so grounding and it's very, it's just, it's a very cool opportunity. And that's, that really kind of changed my um, perspective. I said, you know, I really want to continue to work with canines, but I know that there's a way bigger picture than anything that I could dream of or think of. And I'm just going to like, you know, work hard and, and learn and just, and for me, it's just putting out the education that I learned to help other people so they don't make mistakes. That's all I, you know, it's so valuable. Yeah. So, so you live in LA I would assume. Yes, I do. Yeah. So, so right now, how many dogs like live at your house? Six. Six. Are any of them? Yeah. What's that? The one I see a lot that's hysterical is the uh, like the it's a Bernal Doodle type thing. Hollywood. Yeah, he's <laughs> the one that I was given. Uh, it was a gift, and uh, oh, okay. He yeah, and he's a Bernal Doodle, and he's a standard Bernal Doodle, and he is mine, and he turned. Uh, he's thirteen months this month. And he's just—it's the funniest dog. Yeah, I mean, there's such—it's a oh, character, so cool. lots of character. Like, is that he, he's like cream and like he almost looks like cream and like liver, almost like a very different yeah. color. Yeah, he's got like a reddish brown coat with then some black tips and some black markings, and then like a big white blaze and a big white chest, and he's very woolly looking, like a like a lamb coming over the. <laughs> plains of a scottish landscape you know yeah it's like, yeah no totally very silly these burner peoples are amazing though i will say um you know for people that are looking for if they you know want an animal really bad and uh they've got those that severe allergy issue when it comes to um the dog's fur these Bernadoodles, um, they're F1, right? And so they're good for people who are allergic to dog fur because they don't have fur. They have hair. Yeah. But they're great. It's an easy dog, and they're really fun to train, and they're great socially, and they don't have a lot of health issues. Unlike, you know, their 50% Bernese Mountain Dog, which that's like one of the top five cancer breeds, right? Mm. So I would recommend a Bernadoodle over a Bernese Mountain Dog any day of the week, you know? So they get as big as like... Because standard poodles are tall, and then um, yes. burners are big. So do they get, like, big, big? or? So his growth plates are closed, and he's about 60 pounds. Okay. So, so yeah, huge. and he's fairly filled out. Yeah, So I and I've seen some that are within an inch or two taller than him, but I haven't seen a massive one yet. And I'm not sure. I'm sure that they have that ability, but yeah. – um, I haven't seen a massive one. Yeah, we see it. I have a daycare at my training facility, and um, mm-hmm. that's really fun for 
wanting to learn. You want to learn, just watch dogs interact with each other. It's really, really comical. And you learn. You're like, oh, whoa. I totally agree. You're like, whoa, whoa, yeah. whoa. This is, this is different. And you just watch. And that, everyone always asks me, like, oh, you know, what training? Yeah, I'm getting into training. How? I'm like, just go watch. Like, just don't. Just go watch. Like, get your hands on dogs and just watch. And that's really cool. But anyway, we see. I a, totally agree. Yeah, we see a lot of. Uh, um, we see a lot of doodles, a ton of doodles. And one of the doodles that we have is so funny. It was a, what's the, I guess it's a St. Bernard doodle, but it's a, it's a St. Bernardoodle, I guess is what they call them. And I think that's what they're called. Yeah. Yeah. And she was supposed to get like a standard, like, so like a big one, like a full grown one. And it ended up being a mini and it's like, it's like 35 pounds. It's tiny. It's so funny. His name's Edmund and, uh, he comes oh, in. Oh, that's yeah, he's a so cute. You'd love him. Thirty-five pounds—that's so small for that breed mix. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, he's he's small, he, and when he gets wet, he's even smaller because he's got all these curls. And <laughs> it's hysterical. So I, it's a good time. Yeah, you know, it's it's hysterical. But uh, I so the other thing that I wanted to uh, mention too that I really really like what you do is you do a lot of off-leash stuff with the dogs. I got the beaches and their tongues are hanging out and they're having a good time. How do you? What's your What's your process of like, if you get a client's dog, because I know that you, so when you do your dog training outside of your, your animal training, if you will, and you're doing like private dog training, it looks like you kind of go and grab a bunch of dogs and then go and interact and socialize. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, (laughs) so, so what's your process of like getting, do you do any like preliminary recall before you let them off leash? What's your, what's your like, okay, I'm letting this dog off leash. What's your process for that? Cause I'm interested. Sure. My process for that is, um, okay. It's a few things. One is that, uh, as you had mentioned a, a minute ago regarding observation. So observation is very, very important. It's easy to read your dog, right? So like whenever you're picking a dog trainer, you don't really want to base it on them training their dog because right. that's unfair, right? So you want like to talk to the last three or four people whose dogs they've trained because that's where it's going to come down to because observation of different breeds, right, that come from different backgrounds is really, really valuable. So when I started training animals, um, it was with my family, right? So we uh, only had wild animals. I did not grow up with pets. I never had a dog growing up. So I worked with big cats, bears, elephants, uh, primates. And I thought when I started training dogs, I did not know anything about dogs because of the fact that um, it was such, it was a completely different species and they, I just never, they were comical and I didn't know and how to read them compared to like predators and, um, elephants and, and primates and so forth, because I knew how to read them. And so I just like, you're saying, I got a job at a dog daycare because I mm-hmm. tried to talk to other private dog trainers. They were not very nice. Yep. To me. Yep. Been and they would the... not, <laughs> yeah, so that. that's different. In the movie animal world, it's different. We all work together. We're all friends. Oh, Even so your competitors. Good. That's yeah, you're so friends good. with each other. And that's how you learn. And you learn from older trainers. And sometimes you learn from younger trainers because they're just, they just got, they got something going on that you just don't, you know, and they'll teach you some, uh, they'll teach you a move you never saw before. And then you yeah. learn something new. But so I went and got a job at a doggy daycare because my big brother, uh, Brian, was dating this girl who owned one up in Malibu. And this was hysterical. She was like, I was making great money training like movie animals. And she's like, you're going to be our highest paid employee. And I thought, oh shit, it's going to be awesome. I'm getting, not only am I getting a job at a doggy daycare, I'm going to learn stuff. How old were you right, right, when you're talking like at this time? Oh, I was like 20. Um, how old was I? I think I was like 28. Okay. Got it. 28, 29, somewhere around there. Yeah. And um, so she told me, I was like, what's my pay going to be? 
And she was like, $12 an hour. $12 an hour. And I was like, <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Yeah. I was like, this, that went differently in my head, but okay. So I took the job. And they were super busy. So they had 60 to 70 dogs a day. Damn. And so I would manage by myself 60 to 70 Damn. dogs a day. That's nuts. Of all different breeds, all different sizes. all. And so the first five years I had my business... All I did was anti-aggression training because although I might not be able to teach your dog to heal because I was like, right. movie dogs don't heal because you're working your dog, you know, from the front of your dog. The actor is actually sort of a prop for the dog, if you will. Mm -hmm. So it's like, we don't, it heals not the command. You tell them right. to come easy, you know? Anyway, so uh, they, uh, I couldn't teach your dog to heal, but I knew how to deal with aggressive animals because that is what was my history was in. And yeah. so... I learned a lot there from the recall uh, as far excuse me, as far as learning how to read dogs. And I learned most importantly was what dogs did right before they blew you off. So if you think you're going to go and take your dog into an off-leash environment, you better know yeah. exactly what that dog looks like before he gives you the finger. Yeah, so it's almost like when, when people say, hey, how do I get my dog to recall? I should just say, uh, you should know your dog first. <laughs> So you, well, and so you don't start with recall is the first, like first things first. And right. secondly, I developed a different approach. So what I realized was that all my wild animal training actually gave me a shit ton of information regarding training private, uh, tri tra training dogs privately. Yeah. Um, in that what I noticed that private dog trainers did that we don't do is uh, private dog trainers did not spend enough time on husbandry with dogs. And also on passively bonding with dogs. So I noticed private dog trainers would come to their houses and do these sessions with the dogs. It had a clear-cut beginning and a clear-cut ending. The dog was very aware that this was a training session and that there were 23 other hours in the day that they could uh, find information to contradict what they were learning within that hour. Mm -hmm. So I threw the whole concept of one-hour training sessions out the window because training movie animals, you pepper training sessions in throughout the day in different environments. Then the other thing I did was I read a whole bunch of different books um, that were read, uh, written by uh, other trainers. I probably read about 30 different dog training books. Mm. I, don't, I got maybe in those books, I only learned 10 to 15 percent new information. Right. But that 10 to 15 percent I found valuable. The most invaluable one for me was uh, di by Dr. Ian Dunbar. Now, Dr. Ian Dunbar is a British vet who has a, a background in animal behavior. For those of you guys that don't know, he is a controversial figure. And the reason why he's a controversial figure is because there's no evidence that he's ever trained anyone's dog other than his own. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, hmm. however, there's something that he talks about that I 100% know to be true, which is dogs are, big, I'm going to paraphrase, he doesn't say this in these exact terms, but dogs are the best dog trainers, right? Yes. So, Remedial playgroup training is what I started doing. I started with my own dogs, having my own dogs help me train the new dogs, right? So my own dogs, I had a, a butt ton of control over them. But this is what I know about this species is that, is that they are pack animals. And then mm -hmm. if I can get if I can control over uh, two or three of them, really good. And then I've let that new dog make really good friends with them. Then after doing like fun things with that dog for three or four days, that when I haven't asked anything of that dog, Mm -hmm. but I'm controlling that dog's resources, right? Then I bring them into a new environment um, where I am going to do recall training with them, but I've got three or four days under my belt with them um, where we've just done fun stuff. And already now this dog, I'm bonded with this dog. Mm -hmm. I haven't punched in and started bossing him around and shoving food in his face right. instead or started doing negative reinforcers on him because mm -hmm. who the fuck do I think I am, right? <laughs> instead, 
he's bonded with my dogs. He likes me. He doesn't know why, but I'm just like this cool chick that shows up and, and we go do really fun stuff while he's on leash, let's say, right? Mm-hmm. All positive. Then we go into a situation where I'm like, okay, I'm going to start working him off leash. The first thing I always do is I make a, I make a dog earn his way off leash. The way we do that is we do pack sit stays. And impulse control is the most important part of a pack sit stay. So those photos that you see on my page yeah. are done with pack sit stays. And um, anywhere from, you know, seven, six or seven dogs up to 14 dogs. But these are dogs that have all been trained at different times. And they all have strong levels of impulse control in that particular uh, environment. And so you get that first. If they do their pack sit stay for you for like a reward, then I will let them off. I'll let them loose, dragging a leash, a long leash, not a lunge line, just like a regular six foot leash, right? Six or seven foot leash, never a four foot, um, a six or seven foot leash. And I take them into an environment where traffic is not eminent. Let's be honest, right? Mm -hmm. If traffic is nearby, you're in deep shit. So you don't ever do that because that's absurd, right? Mm -hmm. So I take them off leash and then they're running with my dogs, right? And always, whatever your dog's drive is, whether it's food or toys or ball, you want to hold those res- withhold those resources from him, um, whether it's the night before or the morning of, so that you've got something that your dog really, really wants. Yeah. And then you're starting to call your other dogs. And then maybe that dog blows you off. And then, of course, I don't chase. I literally will turn around and walk the other way. Mm-hmm. And then I've got them following me again. Um, one dog in 50 will pull a runner, right? But that we can't dedicate an entire podcast to that exception, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, unless that's a specific question that's coming. So then they're following me again. And then as they get nearer, I start to step on the leash as they start to fall away from me. I'll step on it. And it's a very, it's a flex on them to say, you're actually, you're, you're not fully free. You're still in my territory. Yeah. So then I start recalling them and the moment they just come to me a little bit, I give them a big praise and a big reward. And then I start doing that. I do it really, I do it repetitively, repetitively, repetitively. And then, so probably over a four to five day window um, of doing this type of exercise, I will then feel comfortable enough to drop the lead on them. Um, And so for example, the one that I'm training right now, he's a German shepherd and he was found running around to Hatchapi when he was maybe four months old. Now he's eight months old. So we know he's a proven runner, right? We already know that. Mm -hmm. And so he's the one where I could tell his focus was crap. And if I didn't get his focus, I wasn't going to get his recall. So I had to make sure his focus was good. Um, He had very low food drive, right? And so I had to really work my bond up with him. Um, But I took control of all of his resources. And by the fourth hike, I felt comfortable with unclipping his lead um, because he was doing 70% recall. 70% is not amazing. But it's like a good sign. That's better, you know? yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing I don't, I noticed that a lot of private dog trainers that what they were doing when they were doing recall, instead of just recalling for the sake of recall, they would make them do something else. Right. So if recall, recall is the most important behavior you can train on your dog. Like that is my opinion. And if people disagree with me, that's cool, but that will always be my opinion. Um, and uh, so for me, if recall is the most important behavior you can train on your dog, sit is a shitty reward for the most important behavior. Right. Yeah. So for the most important behavior, it should be the most valued reward. And then you need to have trained a release word on your dog because as soon as you reward them, you want to release them immediately before they bounce on you. Yep. Because you always want to seize um, the leadership yeah. of the moment and that particular training session. You're not going to build the neural pathway in your dog's brain. If you're, if you're holding 
the dog, you make, if you stretch the reward mark out for too long, mm-hmm. the reward mark should be a hit and run on your terms, not the dog's terms right. on your terms. And then you release and then you move on and you do this repetitively like a machine gun. But the mistake that I see a lot of people making is they recall and then they make sit. And then I don't even know what the fuck they do next because I don't see the point. Usually it's sit, paw, roll over, all that stuff. It's just so you're teaching a behavior change <laughs> instead of teaching recall for the sake of recall. Yeah. And so your dog then is going to develop um, a strategy to get out of that. Yeah. And so um, I, for me, that is like for sure. Like if I could say that I'm really good at one thing as far as training, uh, nobody trains recall like me. I I love my recall training. It's killer. It's Heck absolutely yeah. killer. I love and it. Yeah. And it's so fun for me to train. I love cleaning it up. I love a messy dog. I love a dog who's I'm the fifth or sixth trainer and I just yeah. know I'm going to crush it Yeah, when it comes to that behavior in particular. Um, so did that answer your question? Totally. No, even oh, yeah, good. above and beyond. It was awesome. Yeah, no, that was good. Um, yeah. So just like to, to go in a little bit more on that uh, for, for all the people that are listening that are, you know, obedience nerds, if you will. So Basically, what you're saying is is in, you really need to compartmentalize each individual behavior. To and I and I teach that too. Where clients, and I think every dog owner, um, before they you know get into their first or second training class, that's what we teach. The first thing we teach is leash pressure and break. Um, when we're teaching pet owners like how to handle their dog on the leash, not necessarily recall or relationship or whatever. Um, and yeah, and that break command or that release command is huge because you're setting them up for success on your terms instead of allowing the dog to break away from you and say, you know, adios and and take off. So you're basically almost, it's not like trickery, but you're basically like, Hey, on my terms, you can break because I know you're going to anyway. And then, and then the same thing with compartmentalizing the recall and then rewarding them to send them off, I think is huge because, a lot of people don't realize that even if you're holding resources that the dog uh, wants, like a ball, food, toy, frisbee, you're still recalling an animal out of the wild, if you will, which is a huge resource in its own. So when they actually make the mental decision to turn and come to you, that in itself is a bit like, you know, like you, like I love the way you explained it. Like you really make it like really you praise them verbally, I'm sure, and you just. And a lot of people don't realize like my big thing with recall too. Um, and I, and and you can touch base on this too. If you do something like this is I, I, I teach people to like, I call it drawing the dog out with your body. So a lot Mm -hmm. of my clients will just say Fido come and just like very monotoned, neutral body straight up, not moving. And I'm like, you know, arching my, arching my shoulders and like drawing the dog out with my body and telling the dog to come. And like, you just have to, you just have to realize that when you are recalling a dog that's off leash, if, even if they have a drag line or something, they're still out of the blue ish coming directly to you. And that's huge, huge. Yes. Oh yeah. I mean, I saw a meme the other day and it was like things that make people feel, give people feelings of power. And it was like, um, owning um owning a rolls royce um uh being able to fly a jet um having your dog come when called (laughs) yeah yeah you know what i mean yeah same thing with sit too i mean you're right i mean people just i tell people before i hand the leash back over i'm like okay look you know here's one thing you don't want to do because it gets drawn out and it gets diluted people just get nervous yeah they don't know what else to do so they say fido sit 
sit. The dog sits down for four and a half seconds, gets back up. And then, and I, and what I'll do is uncomfortably stop talking and the, and yeah. I'll, and the dog owner will be looking at me like, what, what happened? I'm like, well, <laughs> the problem is, is if we're going to try to build a good relationship with the dog and you want your dog to actually conceptualize what behaviors and cues and verbalizations we're giving them, when you say something to the dog, you have to mean it. You don't just say it because you don't know what else to do. And I, and it's the same chain with recall sit. And it's like, it's not, I think people, I, I find maybe dog owners do it um, to just like, they don't know what else to do. And they don't realize yeah. that that's like diluting what you, that was the way that you said it was good is like, you're basically, there's nothing worse than recalling your dog, you know, off leash, having fun, sniffing the ocean, sniffing the other dog. They do it. They're so excited. They get to you and you say, now sit. And you're like, it's a shitty reward. It's terrible. It's such a good point. I never really thought about it like that, but yeah, everyone does that. And it's, it is, it is, it's like reward your dog first, but, but then like, also, why are you asking them to sit? Like, let them go and like, take that as a win and release them back into the wild. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, whenever I work with private people, um, that's a big one. And they go, well, why? Why am I doing that? And I'm like, because you need to practice these as training sessions just for recall. In real life, you can do what you need to do. But if you don't put yeah. in your time by doing these practice sessions that are three to four minutes long of, of concentrated recall, concentrate in one session, concentrated stays in another session, whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. That then you're not showing up for practice. So you're not going to win your championship. You know what I mean? Ev- even Kobe went to practice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So unless and it, so you can tell me you're the Kobe Bryant of dog training and guess what you still got to show up for practice. Yeah, hundred percent. That's yeah, that's exactly the way that I've said it a couple of times to people that kind of get lax on their training and I say that all the time is like you've developed these behaviors, you dog your dog understands this, but like when's the last time you asked your dog to do something and actually like reinforce something about it and that's yeah that's the way I put it too is I was like cope I say LeBron James but. You know, I said like <laughs> LeBron James still goes I'm to LA. practice. It's yeah, Kobe. I know. I hear it. Out here. I hear it. But that's the way I say it too. Is I say LeBron James still has a coach and still goes to practice every you know every day during the season. And, that's right. And you know, and and it's different because like dogs, if they're not practiced and in condition, especially with obedience off leash their life depends on it. And I, I say that to people all the time and it's not just with obedience, but it's behavioral mistakes too. Cause I do a lot of, that's pretty much all I do. I kind of stay in my lane. Kind of like what you're saying is like, you don't practice the heel and stuff like that. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a problem solver and that's all I really love to do. And it's the only thing that came innate to me, uh, which is why I got into dog training is because I just was, was so comfortable getting in the ring with a dog that wanted to hurt me. And, uh, and one of the things I tell people too, that, I think it's huge with behavior modification too, that you have to upkeep, like constantly manage and, and make sure that, you know, that you're upkeeping your, your, your training. It's huge. Yes. It's so true. And I think it's a little undervalued. Also people think these training sessions have to be these grand things and they don't. Once the behavior is trained properly, your maintenance sessions can be three to five minutes long. Yeah, exactly. We don't have to turn it into a nightmare. Yeah. And I think, I think that that that's huge too, that people don't realize that once they, once they get control and they, they really understand what they're trying to do with their dog in the relationship, all it is after that is maintenance. And like you said, like three to five minute session, just, just gangbuster fireworks, like everything's going good. And then you release them and that's it. Just check in with them, make sure they're 
everybody's still on the same page. Okay, cool. I can save your life if I need to. Great. See you later. Have fun. And that's, <laughs> yes, that's huge. Very true. Cool. Well, I'm going to, I know you're busy and I know, uh, you got, you got some stuff going on and it's still early ish in, in LA right now. It's like eight, it o- eight o'clock. Things are winding. It's still light out here, but, um, oh, where are you out of? I'm in upstate New York, so I oh, am, nice. yeah, so I'm like, um, I'm really close to Vermont, actually, so I'm, I'm pretty close, like really upstate. A lot of people say upstate New York, and they're like Buffalo, Syracuse. I'm like, no, I'm actually upstate. Like, I'm four <laughs> hours north from Manhattan. I'm, I'm, I'm upstate, upstate. Oh, that's far. It's so pretty up there. Yeah, it's beautiful. Saratoga Springs area. Um, it's gorgeous. It's, it's really cool. It's nice. But, you know, COVID has finally calmed down. And, um, but now I can't travel anywhere. So awesome. <laughs> so anyway, uh, cool. So why don't you just tell people where they can find you on social media? Um, and that way they can, they can watch and see all the funny stuff I've been talking about. Oh, yes, absolutely. On social media? Yeah. Well, I okay, sadly, because I'm bad at social media, I'm only on Instagram. Cool. So <laughs> it's, at, it's at Adventures. Adventures in Dog Training. Cool. And I'll, and I'll leave it in the description below as well. All right, Kirsten, it was so nice to talk to you finally and, and jump on here. So I nice appreciate it. to talk to you. And if I'm ever out in LA, I know you're busy, but I'll text you. Um, I'll be in LA a couple times this, this year, hopefully, depending on travel. Okay. And I'll let you know, and maybe we can link up. Sounds good. I'd love that. Let me know. All right. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, you guys. That's a wrap for today. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. That was an awesome podcast. I enjoyed it. I I didn't want it to end. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you found some benefits to it. I hope you found some escapism. I hope it was entertaining. But anyway, thank you guys for listening. I appreciate it. Thank you, Dogchair, my sponsors, for sponsoring the podcast. And if you guys haven't yet, do me a favor. Go to the review page, leave a review, screenshot it, share it with me on Instagram at Tom Davis, and you'll automatically be entered to win a free No Bad Dog merch. And we are getting new merch in, which is very exciting. So we're getting a whole new set of new merch in as soon as it comes in. So next couple of weeks. Anyway, guys, I'll talk to you next time. Bye. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.